Let's take out our Bibles, if you would, this morning. We're going to be moving around to a number of different passages of Scripture uh, today, so just kind of get your thumbs ready, your fingers exercised just for a minute. And today I want to preach this uh, second message in the series, A Love Like No Other, entitled, A Love That's Commanded. A Love That's Commanded. If you would just turn in your Bibles, we can go to the book of Luke uh, for a moment, or actually, you know what, go to 1 John, if you would, 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to get to that in just a few moments, and then, like I said, we'll be moving to a number of different passages of Scripture, uh, but we live in a day and age where in our society and culture, it's amazing how... Uh, and, and at times, almost tragic how we speak about love. In one sentence, we can say that we love our wife, our dog, a nice juicy steak, our job, and our flat screen TV. And in all of that, we're using the word love. Now, clearly, I trust that the juicy steak does not hold a higher place in your mind than your wife. And certainly, if you have a dog, I trust you're treating your wife or husband better than you do treat your dog. Uh, and of course, many of us spend too much time in front of that TV. You might say that TV gets more love. But nonetheless, it's, it's almost tragic how we use that terminology. And clearly, we're not talking about the same kind of love for all things. I have been known when somebody says, oh, do you love Italian? Do you like Italian pastries? I'll say, oh, I love Italian pastries. And I don't just like it. I love it. And, you know, we, we use that, that word for so many different things to express how much we really like something. Our overuse of it and our, certainly our misuse of it doesn't really lend itself to the clearest definition of what Christian love is and what it really means. In fact, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus said there was no greater love than this, that a friend laid down his life. Uh, that, that one laid down his life for his friend. And then Jesus, the Bible lets us know that he went on to prove how much he really loved his disciples and loved the world by doing just that, laying down his life for us. The clearest and the truest and the most powerful definition of love is found in none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is our model. He's our example of what love really is and really means. Of course, we look back not too far in history into the 60s and the early 70s and the mantra of the culture was make love, not war. And that was really, in the end, nothing more than a defense for an entire generation's moral compass that had no longer pointed in the right direction. All of a sudden now it was all about whatever you wanted to do, whatever it was that you felt. If it felt good, you did it. If it didn't, you didn't do it. And it was all about, it was a selfish kind of love. But the kind of love that we see in Scripture is not a selfish kind of love. It is a lavishing kind of love. It is always, always a giving kind of love. 
with all the talk about love, the one thing that we don't often find that's said about love in our society is the idea or the concept that love is not a feeling. Now, we know there are many people will say that, and we, we understand that. I believe that we understand that that is true, but so often people make decisions regarding the rest of their lives based on emotion. You will find a young man or a young woman getting together with somebody else and oh the love that they have for that individual but in the end what they're really talking about is this rush of emotions because real love suggests that you want the best for that under that other person as opposed to what is it that you can get out of the relationship love in our society has become very self-centered and yet in scripture we find something so foreign to our culture and our society, and in fact, probably foreign to many cultures and many societies around the world, and it is this, that love is a command. Love is commanded. Did you know that today? Now, there are a lot of different areas that I could talk about today and a lot of different directions that we could go, but today I want to speak to you about four specific places that the Bible commands our love to be directed. And there are more. But I have chosen just four for the sake of time. We are commanded in Scripture, first of all, to love the Lord. To love the Lord. That is the first and the greatest. In everything that you do, in everything that I do in life as a believer, and in every ability that we might think we have to carry out the kind of love that Jesus had, the basis of it and the basis of being able to do that is to have and to love the Lord, to have his love and know we have his love, but also to love him back. Let's go to 1 John, if you're not already there, 4 and verse 19, 1 John Chapter 4 and for verse 19. And we're going to look at today the basis of the love for God. Basis, the basis of love for God. First of all, it was his own love. How is it even possible that we are able to love the way God wants us to love? Not only him, but also one another. When we get to that in just a few moments, how are we going to do it? What is the basis of this kind of love? It was his own love for us. Look at 1 John 4.19. The Bible says, God, or it says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Elsewhere in scripture, the Bible reveals that the very nature and the character and the quality of God is that God is love. He himself characterizes this idea of such intense love that he gives with no expectation of receiving. How do we know that? Well, the Bible lets us know, and we talked about this verse last week, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it lets us know that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And earlier in that verse, it says, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the basis of our love for God is the, is the fact that he initiated it. He's the one who showed up and said, I'm going to love you first. 
And brothers and sisters, there is no other kind of love. There is no greater love than the love of God, the love that he has for you and I. Do you know that when you walk to your job or you get on the train or you get on the bus to get to your job and you arrive on that job, your trip has not been unnoticed. You have a loving heavenly father who has taken note of every step that you've taken, every mile that you've traveled, everywhere that you have gone. His love is so great that he takes note of where you are right now. Most of us think, well, surely God knows where I am right now. I'm in church. I, we we got to get this thinking out of our head that it's only in church that God's you know, got his eye on us. Wherever you are, the Lord knows where you are. He knows what's going on. Why? Because he loves you. And he is the one who has initiated that love. We love because he first loved us. The basis of the love for God is also his sacrifice. Right there in 1 John, just a few verses back up. In verse 10, it lets us know his great sacrifice for us. This is love, John says in verse 10. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The ability to love God comes based on the fact that Jesus came to this earth that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That he loved us that much, he so first loved us that it was, he said, I'm going to send my son to atone for the sins of mankind, for every individual who would somehow say that God is somehow an angry God and a mean God and a God who is out to get them and a God who is not very happy and somebody who is just sort of, you know, this nebulous figure in the Old Testament who always looks like he's ready to pour out judgment. I don't find that in Scripture. I find from the very get-go when man rebelled against God, God showed up and made a plan. He made a plan for mankind to get out of the sin and out of the mess that man had gotten himself into. And all the way through Scripture, the thread of Scripture is this, that God loves humankind that he loves each and every one regardless of what stage they're in in life and where they come from and what their background is the basis of your love for God is not that you somehow thought of it it's not that you somehow invented the idea God is the originator of this kind of love he is the originator of love that is commanded but we are commanded to love the Lord now I want you to see not only the basis of love for God, but I want you to see the balance of love for God. God's love for us, though it has been initiated by him, requires that we love him in ways that are both honest before him, the one who sees everything, and visible to others around us. Let me say that again. It is this, God's love for us, though it has been initiated by him, 
requires that we love him in ways that are both honest before him and visible to others around him. In other words, so often people get caught up in the idea and think that somehow their loving God is nothing more than the outward expression of going to church on Sunday. If you ever, I'd like you, if you would, to turn over into the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want, to, I want you to see how this love that God initiated has to be balanced out in our lives by loving him back. And how do we know that we love him? How do others know? How are you going to know? Now, there are a lot of people who can show up at your door and say, I love the Lord. And then they go out and they live like the devil. They talk like the devil. They act like it. They do their own thing. They don't go to church. They don't submit to anybody that's over them in the Lord. They just somehow decide they're going to do their own thing. But in the end, the Bible is very clear. If I love the Lord, this is what I'm going to do. Now listen to what the Bible says. And again, we are commanded. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. The Bible says, and Moses is writing and, and speaking to the people, Love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Pretty much encompasses your whole self, doesn't it? But he says this, and this is a command. The, 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 you know, it's not worded in such a way, if you want to love the Lord, if, if you would like to love the Lord, I would suggest that you do so. The, it was a command. Love the Lord. How? Well, you know, I just, uh, you know, I'll show up at church on Sunday, but that's pretty much it. I'm just going to go to church and then everybody's going to think I'm okay. Look, you can fool a lot of people in this room. You can make everybody around you think you're okay. But you know what? You don't have to answer to me. You don't have to answer to anybody that's around you. You will have to answer to the Lord. So the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's something God sees. Love the Lord with all your soul. That's something that God sees. And with all your strength, God sees it. But that's where man comes in, and he sees that too. Love the Lord in every part of your being. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 16. It's going to be very clear that loving God is a command. We are commanded to love the Lord. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 16, the Bible says, For I command you today to love the Lord your God. Now how? How is it going to be obvious that I do this? How is it going to be obvious that I do love the Lord? The Bible says to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to bless or to, to possess. But earlier in this verse, the Bible lets us know that the clear identification of whether or not we really love the Lord is, are we walking in his ways? We say, you know, faith is a very personal thing, Pastor. You know, it's very personal in my heart. You know, you can't judge me. I don't judge you. I can't judge you. I can't see what's in your heart. 
I, I, if I could, maybe I could judge you, but I can't. You can't see what's in my heart. We cannot see what's on the inside. This is why we need the Word of God. The Word of God, both read and preached and delivered to us in our hearts and in our minds, that is the Word that judges the inside. The Word of God goes deep down on the inside and sees whether or not you really love God. You say you can carry out the actions. You might even be able to play an instrument or, or lead in worship or, or teach downstairs with the children. You might, you might be willing to say, well, you know, I'll sing with the ensemble at the times of the year where we get together and sing for some special function, and I'll be a part of that. But deep down on the inside, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the most important question that I have for you is when you do those things, do you do it because you love the Lord or are you doing it to put something over on somebody? The Bible lets us know that we need to walk in his ways. That's not just when you're in church, just when it comes time to serve, when you go to your job tomorrow. What kind of a Christian will you be? Will you be the kind of, the kind of believer who says, Lord, I love you so much, I want to follow in your ways. The Bible tells us this, and Paul wrote to one church, he said, find out what pleases the Lord. So often in life, we are trying to find out what pleases us rather than the Lord. If I really love God, if I am following this command and saying, Lord, I love you with all my heart, my soul, and my strength. If I love you with everything that is within me, Lord, then I'm going to follow your ways and I'm going to find out what pleases you rather than what pleases me. I believe with all my heart, brothers and sisters, we have to be so judgmental of ourselves and so careful to search our hearts and say, am I, really, am I really loving the Lord the way that I need to? Do I really love him with everything that is within me? And that is between you and the Lord. All I can do is preach. All I can do is present the word of the Lord. But we need to test our hearts. We need to see whether or not we really are following God. And I believe that, that you, can, you can look at that and you say, well, but my heart condemns me because I did this, you know, two years ago. Well, did you repent? Yes, but I still am condemned. Well, that condemnation is not from God. There is a wonderful verse of Scripture in 1 John. I believe it's chapter, oh, I can't remember now, but it's, it's there. You've got to read it. I think it's four, either chapter 3 or chapter 4, verse, right around verse 20, 21. The Bible says this, and it lets us know, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our hearts. Listen, in the end, God has the final say, but we've got to love the Lord with all of our hearts. It's commanded. And that is the basis of everything now that I'm going to say. And of all that it flows, flows out from there, we are also commanded in Scripture to love one another. Go back over to 1 John, if you would. Right back to 1 John chapter 3. The Bible says this. 1 John chapter 3. And I'm going to go there. i got the verse in my notes, but I want to just get there myself. So I can see this as well. First John chapter 3 and verse 23. Verse 23. In fact, I was right. First uh, John chapter 3 verse 21 is that verse of scripture just quoted to you. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. We have confidence before God. But verse 23 says this, and this is the, his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another 
as he commanded us. Did you see that? Loving one another in the body of Christ is not an option. You know, I've, I've gone in, I've, I've purchased or leased enough vehicles in my life to know that when you go into the, the dealer, they have, you know, the base package, and then you have options. And those options are not free. You've got to pay for it, but you have options. You can choose to put it as part of your car or not. But see, loving one another is not one of those, those divine options. God is not saying in Scripture, you know, I want you to, to love me, but, you know, whether or not you love your brother or sister, uh, you know, in Christ, whether or not you love that person who sits next to you or across the aisle from you or five or six rows back from you, whether or not you love them, that's really all up to you. No biggie. You know, just don't worry about it. You'll somehow make it. That's not the way the Scripture reveals it to us. John explicitly writes, clearly writes to us and says, and to love one another, what? As he, Christ, commanded us. Notice the fact that loving one another, that is believers in Christ and loving each other, is also a command. Not only am I commanded to love the Lord, but I'm commanded to love one another. We're commanded to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And most of you, some of you sitting here this morning say, well, I can kind of think of a couple of reasons why I, don't, I shouldn't love. Well, I'm sure you can. But then again, I'm sure if you looked in the mirror, you could find a couple of reasons why not to love yourself. Or you could find a couple of reasons why it was that God shouldn't have loved you. But guess what? He did. He loved you in spite of all the, the ugliness of sin, in spite of all the things that you did against him. That's how much he loved you. And so he is simply saying, I want you to be an extension of the way that I loved you. I want you to extend that to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Loving one another. In fact, John puts it up here. Notice this. Let's read that first part of the verse again. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Now that, son, that name has meaning. Why is, why is John mentioning this name? The name has meaning. Jesus is of the same, in, the, in the, a Greek version of the Old Testament name, Joshua. And that literally means deliverer or savior. So you've got to believe what John is saying. You've got to believe in him as savior, as deliverer. But Christ was not, you know, as we would think of it, his last name. Uh, we have last names. That was not his last name. Christ is a title. And it literally means Messiah or anointed one. So John is saying you got to believe that he is Savior and Messiah, the one that the Old Testament prophets were, were prophesying about and saying was coming into the world to save mankind from their sin. But guess what? Here's what else you got to do. you got to love each other. Really, John? Did you have to go there? You don't understand, John, what that person did to me five years ago. You don't understand how they hurt me. You don't understand how they made my life so miserable. John, you don't know. You don't know what that brother or sister over there did. And guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Loving one another, brothers and sisters, John points this out for us, requires faith in Christ. 
It requires faith in Christ. That we just talked about in the first part of that verse, that we've got to trust in him as Lord and Savior and also trust in him as that one who was prophesied about to be the Messiah. But in the end, John says, you've got to love one another. Listen to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11. You're right there in 1 John. Let's read it. Verse 11, the Bible says this. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. <laughs> Listen, you walk home from church. You go home from church. Get home and say, man, you know, that sister, she looked at me funny. You know, she said something to me that really just got under my skin. You know, for the rest of the week, if you, Shaman, you don't come to Tuesday night prayer meeting. No, if you don't come to Tuesday night prayer meeting, the rest of the week, you're just somehow, you know, there's this thing that's boiling and festering on the inside because of something that you think happened. You know, we've got to be so careful. It's, it's, we try to tell our kids this, you know, at least the older they get, the older one at any rate, you know, we've got to get thicker skin. You know, don't take everything that people say, you know, so personally. Don't, don't, and it, all through adulthood, we, we have the tendency to just kind of put our emotions out there on the sleeve and just let people hit them and, and we get hurt by it. But you know what? The Bible lets us know that regardless of what they do, regardless of what they are like and how they are going to be to one another or to us, we have got to love them. And guess what, folks? It's still a command. The word hasn't changed. It's still a command for us to love one another. Loving one another not only requires faith in Christ, but it also rejects fake love. I love this one. In fact, you don't need to turn there. Just stay in 1 John for a minute. But I want to read a verse of Scripture out of Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, but I want to read it from the New Living Translation. Uh, the New Living Translation, the, actually it's the New Living Translation 2nd edition. They updated it. But don't, listen to what the Bible says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, don't just pretend to love others, really love them, Paul is saying, don't have that fake kind of love, you know, where, where we have all the terminology down, so that we make other people think that we love them, but on the inside, we can't stand them. We, you know, we got, we got, the, love you in the love of the Lord, brother. Love you in the love of the Lord, sister. We, years ago, they used to say, love you in the love of the Lord. I used to begin to think to myself, does it really take the love of the Lord to love me? <laughs> and, and the cold, harsh reality was, yes, sometimes it does. Sometimes it just takes all the love that heaven can pour into somebody's soul just to be able to love me. I know that. But you know what? In the end, brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, we have got to reject the fake kind of love. And we've got to begin to get into the kind of love that says, I'm willing to give. I'm willing to spend. I'm willing to expend my energy and my time and my efforts for you and on behalf of you. Why? Because I love you and I really do in the body of Christ. You're my brother. You're my sister. And I am willing to go to great lengths to let you know that. 
That's the kind of love that we need to have for one another, not this fake kind of love that, that is, is often seen. Listen to what 1 first, what first John chapter 4 and verse 20 says. And John's going to put, put it out there just the way it is. John minces no words. He says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Hmm, really? A liar? John, you call me a liar? If you hate your brother and you say you love the Lord? Yes, absolutely. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, get this, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Amazing what John is indicating to us that brothers and sisters, our indication, are the indication that we really love God the most and more than anything else in our lives seems to be our ability to love one another. Now, I mean, this is aside from time you would take with devotion to the Lord and reading the Bible and praying and getting close to God. But in the end, all of that is really worthless unless we are willing to let it carry out in our everyday life of loving each other and John says if you know you can say the words but in the end if you don't you know if you're not carrying it out and you're not proving and showing that you love your brother and sister in the Lord then how are they ever going to know if maybe you say the words but down deep on the inside you've got this anger and frustration with that individual and John says you're lying Reminds me of the, the time that Pastor, Pastor Impagli told, told us years ago uh, when he was at the Brooklyn Tabernacle and, and one of the pastors on staff, and I believe Pastor Simbla was preaching right in the middle of the, the sermon. Some man had kind of drifted in off the street and was up in the balcony, and all of a sudden just from the balcony shouts out, Stop lying! <laughs> Obviously the ushers had to move to do something about that. Um, but, you know, they, they, and they ushered the man out. But, you know, I wonder sometimes if God from heaven doesn't just, you know, when we say we love somebody and deep down on the inside, we're really disgusted with that person. If God does, from heaven doesn't just go, stop lying. Say, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm just going to tell the person how I feel. You know, telling somebody how you feel may not necessarily be productive you got to be very careful about how you tell that person what's going on on the inside. Because if you choose not to forgive that individual, all you have done is you have wounded somebody in the body of Christ rather than reconciled and restored your relationship. And that relationship will be damaged for a very long time. You say, well, I just got to get it off my chest. You don't have to get anything off your chest. What you need to learn how to do is you need to learn how to love the way the Bible tells us how to love. Thank you for that two amens. We are commanded in Scripture not only to love one another, but to love your neighbor. Turn over in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke. The book of Luke chapter 10. Go to Luke chapter 10. And I won't take time to read the whole passage. This is the passage of Scripture about the Good Samaritan. But the Bible says this in verse 25. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify him himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? He's going to try to split hairs with Jesus. Well, let's just get down to the nitty-gritty, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes on a very nice introduction to and a, a very, very short parable and story about who your neighbor is. It's the one you don't think about. Let's just get down to the end of that passage. Jesus tells this story about these priests and this man, the Samaritan, or this man who was, was on a road uh, to going to Jericho, and it's a very treacherous road. And he was, he was waylaid by robbers and thieves, and they beat him and they left him for dead. And then a priest comes by, and a Levite comes by, and somebody else. But then finally a Samaritan comes by, ministers to him, and he takes care of his needs. And the Bible says this in verse 35. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three... Do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And you can see this expert squirming in his shoes. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. You see, loving your neighbor requires this, that we show mercy. We show mercy. The Bible says this, you don't need to turn there, just stay in the book of Luke for a moment. It says this in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. We are to show mercy. When an individual is hurting, when somebody is down and out and they are discouraged and there's pain and there's trouble and there's struggle in their life, the Bible lets us know that we're not to walk around them, but we are to show mercy to them. You see, this Samaritan had the ability to minister to his needs. The tragic part of the story is two religious leaders who passed this man laying in the road by, had the ability, they had the wherewithal, they had what they needed to be able to take care of the man, and yet they skirted around him, so as certainly not to defile themselves. But the Samaritan reached down and he showed mercy to this man. How many people in life need mercy from you? You say, who is my neighbor? Well, your neighbor could be a coworker. I was blessed by somebody recently told me about an individual who had a difficult time on their job, didn't show up for days, said to his boss, you know, when the individual, if he comes back, I want, I, I really want to help him. I really want to help him. And you know what that company did? And I, I'm certain it was directed by this one individual who loves the Lord. That company took that man back in. I don't know what the situation is anymore, but I know they took him back. After days of just being MIA, just nothing. 
shows up back to work, still has a job. They showed mercy to the man. You see, in life today, and, and I know that there are so many situations we look in life all around us, and we can say there are so many places that people don't show mercy. You know, how many of you had phone calls from the banks, you know, in the last two years? You've had a phone call here and there, you know, about your home or about some other loan or some other thing that's going on because now the things that you thought were worth more a few years ago now have plummeted in value and, and, and they're not worth anything. And the banks have called and they've, they have not, no, the banks aren't going to show mercy. They want you to show money. That's it. But you know, in the end, when it all comes down to it, it is mercy. Your neighbor is somebody who needs mercy. It might be literally a neighbor. It might be a coworker. It might be a friend. It might even be a family member. But it's somebody who needs the mercy of the Lord shown to them. We need to love. We are commanded to love our neighbor. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. We need to shun a misconception. And the misconception is this. Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 13 and verse 9, he says the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. We somehow think that sometimes in our lives we sometimes begin to think and we have this misconception that as long as I love God and as long as I love, you know, the brothers and sisters in Christ and I follow the Lord and I follow what the Bible tells me to do, then, you know, how the world gets treated, no big deal. You know, sometimes I fly off the handle. The Bible lets us know that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, how do you take care of you? How do you take care of your own needs in life? Most of us, just curious how many of you had breakfast this morning when you woke up. I'm not asking whether or not you're a breakfast person. I had breakfast too. I had to have it. If I didn't have it right now, you say, Pastor, you shouldn't have had it. You should be dismissing us right now. You should, you know... I, I, I get a little weak at the knees. I get hungry, a little hypoglycemic. I got to have a little food in the morning. Got to little have something to keep me going. You know, we need those things. We, we wake up in the morning and we, we've got to have that, that something to keep us moving forward. And yet so often in our lives, we somehow think that, that you know, just so long as we, we get it into ourselves and we feed ourselves and, and everything is fine with me, then who cares what happens? No, we're to, we're to treat our neighbor the way that we treat our own bodies, the way that we treat ourselves, the way that we want to be treated. And this leads us to our last point, and it is this, love your enemies. Just stay in the book of Luke, but I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture in the book of Mark. Love your enemies. In the scripture, we're commanded to love our enemies. But you know, the bath, uh, or in the book of Matthew, I'm sorry, not the book of Mark, Matthew chapter 5 and verses 43 and 44, Jesus said these words, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. First of all, the hate your enemy, Jesus is not saying that that's part of scripture. By quoting that, in fact, that phrase, hate your enemy, was a, an add-on. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere in the Old Testament. Jesus quoted Scripture at the beginning, but the latter part is actually a, a pharisaical add-on 
to the law. It had nothing to do with the law. It wasn't in the law of Moses. God didn't say it. It was something that mankind just made up for his own convenience. But Jesus said this, you've heard it said. But listen to what he says in verse 44. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Jesus says, now this, it requires that we listen to Jesus and not our own feelings and our own man-made rules and regulations. Jesus said, you've heard it said this, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I'm going to tell you today, you love your enemy. Now, if that's not a command, I don't know what is. And Jesus is saying, you know what? The nonsense of hating your enemy, that's got to go. If you want to really show my love to the world, if you want to be like me, you're going to love the person who can't stand you. You're going to love the individual who somehow is gunning for your job. You're going to love the individual who somehow wants to come along and make your life so miserable. I want you to know you've got to love your enemies. There was a Bible college professor uh, who pastors a small church in Jerusalem. Subjected to a great deal of persecution. And Israeli soldiers who patrol the city looking for potential terrorists impose spontaneous curfews on Palestinians and they have the legal right to shoot any Palestinian who does not respond quickly enough to their summons. And this professor, pastor, tried and failed in his attempts to love his enemies. He just, he tried. But the Israeli soldiers random daily checks for Palestinian identification cards, sometimes stopping them for hours It fed this man's fear and anger. It became great. He confessed his inability to God. He realized something significant. That the radical love of Christ is not an emotion, but a decision. He decided to show love, however reluctantly, by sharing the gospel message with the soldiers on the street. With a new resolution, he began to carry copies of a flyer with him written in Hebrew and in English with a quotation from Isaiah 53 with the words real love printed across the top. Every time a soldier stopped him, he handed his ID card and the flyer because the quote came, uh, came from the Hebrew scriptures. The soldier usually asked him about, what, asked him about it before letting the man go. After several months, he realized the feelings toward the soldiers had begun to change. He said, I was surprised, you know. He says, it was a process, but I didn't pay attention to that process. My older feelings of anger and frustration and and fear were not there anymore. He said, I would pass them in the street. He said, I would see the same soldiers as before, but now find myself. He says, I find myself praying, Lord, let them stop me so I can share with them the love of Christ. Brothers and sisters, your enemy may only be somebody who needs to know the love of Jesus. 
They may only be your enemy simply because they are void of the love of Christ. They don't have it on the inside. But it will be you extending the love of Christ that will cause them to change and to turn around and become not your enemy but your friend. But you see, it requires a radical change in how it is that we view those who come against us and those who try to hurt us. A radical change. Not only does... Loving your enemies require listening to Jesus rather than listening to anybody else. But it also requires learning from Jesus. Turn over to Luke if you're still in Luke. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And I want to read verses 27 down through to verse 25. And we're going to end with this. We've got to learn from Jesus. The Bible says this, but I tell you, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It requires learning what Jesus had to say in living by it. Jesus said this, there are four things in closing that I want to say about this, and it is first, we've got to pray for them. I believe with all my heart that your first line of defense and offense is getting on your knees for that individual who might be making your life tough and begin to cry out to the Lord and bringing their name before him. The Bible says pray for them. And then also in verse 29, the first part of it indicates that we should not retaliate. You know, so often Christians are getting, you know, seemingly into this mode of, well, I'm just going to get them back. You know, that's not what Jesus taught. Vengeance is not yours, saith God. Vengeance is his. He will repay. He'll take care of it. He says, don't retaliate to anybody. Don't somehow think that you're going to return the favor to them, that you're just going to get them back. No, don't do that, Jesus said. But also he says, give freely. Oh, that's, that's, you know, most people don't see that coming. Most folks who are out to get you and out to hurt you, out to, to, you know, frustrate you or do anything, and all of a sudden you turn around and you give them something, you buy them a cup, of, maybe you walk in the morning for, with a cup of coffee, you put it on, you know how, somehow you learned how they just like it, and you, you put it on their desk, say, here you go, I'd like you to have that. They're going to look at you like you have five heads. But yet, all it is is saying, I'm going to give. 
I'm here to give. I'm here to give the same love that Jesus gave to me. I'm going to give to you. And the Bible also lets us know in verse 31, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. In your situation, how is it that you want to be treated? We've got to stop and begin to ask ourselves. You say, that's the golden rule, Pastor. Yes, it is. They say that. They even announced. I remember one day I was at Jamie's school, and over the loudspeaker, the principal came over the loudspeaker. This is not a Christian school. It's a public school. Came over the loudspeaker. He said the golden rule. They're teaching the kids the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Not do to others before they do to you. You know, so, so many times we get into that mode, but do to others. And this is the way we are to love. This is a love that's commanded, folks. We've got to love God with everything that is within us. We've got to love our brothers and sisters, love one another. We've got to love our neighbor as ourself and love our enemies. Nobody is saying this is easy. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, and the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, then I want you to know that God makes it possible. God is not asking us to do something that he is not going to give you the the ability to carry out. God is not asking you to love in a manner that is absolutely impossible for you to do. Look, you say, but I I don't, that's, that's not the way I do things. Well, this is the way God does things. We either want to get into his economy or we want our own. We either want his culture or we want our own culture. And I am here today to say this is the culture of the kingdom. This is the way that we as Christians are to act and to be and believe and to live our lives on a daily basis. Why? Because there is a world out there that is lost and hopeless without Jesus Christ. They need to know the love of Jesus Christ. And in the end, how are they ever going to know it unless you and I are the same kind of loving individuals that Jesus poured into us and said, I'm going to pour my love into you. Now I want you to go out and love the world. How are they ever going to see if we hide that and we hold that in and we keep it to ourselves? There is a world that needs to know Christ. There are workers, co-workers that you have, family members and friends and neighbors that need to know how much Jesus loves them. And the only way they're ever going to see it, in many cases, is to see it through your life and through my life. Can we stand to our feet today?